Section 25 of U.S. Money vs. Corporation Currency, Aldrich Plan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. U.S. Money vs. Corporation Currency, Aldrich Plan, by Alfred Owen Crozier. Chapter 22. The Octopus. Coming Incorporated Money Monster. See Frontispiece. The American Experience Table of Mortality is about 50 years old. It was based on conditions that prevailed a half century ago. It was devised by a big insurance company that arbitrarily loaded same for its greater safety and profit with figures about one-third higher than actual experience. The figures have not changed. Improved sanitation and knowledge have reduced the average death rate. The actual combined experience table of mortality of the large life insurance companies is about one-third lower than the American table. But the American table has been permanently grafted into the statutes of most states and long has been used as the basis for settling estates, computing the value of dower, life estates of widows, children, and men, and the amount of damages in personal injury cases. If the true expectancy of life at the stated age is in fact a third longer than that in the statute, great injustice is done. Writer has verified the above facts with the opinion of an actuary of one of the largest old-line life insurance companies. Insurance has become a great public necessity. Rates should be equitable and administration honest, impartial, and strictly for the good of policyholders and the public. The highest and most compelling motives have induced millions of people to become regular annual contributors to these funds for the protection of future widows and orphans. Once they start they must go on steadily or pay higher rates and perhaps through ill health be unable to get new insurance at all. The old line companies now have over $16 billion of insurance in force. Their annual income is increased from $187,424,959 in 1890 to $392,358,741 in 1900 to seven hundred three million nine hundred twenty thousand five hundred forty two dollars in nineteen ten a sum larger than the seven hundred and one million three hundred seventy two thousand three hundred seventy four dollars that comprised the entire receipts of the federal government in nineteen eleven the equitable mutual life new york life prudential and metropolitan five big companies controlled by wall street have nine billion dollars of insurance sixty percent of the total six million 220,036 policies in force, a combined yearly income of $329,176,873, and $2,236,632,312 of assets. The assets of these five companies exceed in value the aggregate capital stock of the 7,331 national banks and the entire national debt combined. Every dollar of this immense fund has been paid in as premiums by the people. The total disbursements for all purposes made in 1910 out of the $703,920,542 of income was only $488,781,352, leaving $215,139,190 or nearly one-third to compound and accumulate. And every year, this unused fund is getting larger. If it continues to increase at past ratio, 
it will take less than 10 years to draw into this idle insurance fund, an amount equal to all money in circulation. Premiums are based on the spurious American table. This collection of a third more than currently needed tends to pile up in Wall Street a vast and increasing portion of the savings and wealth of the people, except that part used for losses and dividends. These dangerously swollen funds are largely under the control of the big interests that dominate the railroads, trusts, large banks, and trust companies. And with the aid of these deposit funds, manipulate the stock market and its nearly 30 billions of invested securities for the private gain and great loss of the public that owns these vast insurance and bank deposits. The law now prohibits insurance companies investing these trust funds in stocks, but it is said that millions of dollars instead of being invested in proper bonds and real estate loans are merely deposited in favored banks, thus increasing the loaning power of such banks at at least 400% more than the cash so deposited. These loans, often being made to the trusts and big stock market operators at nominal interest rates, and being used against the public in the frequent bull and bear campaigns. January 1, 1911, the above five companies had on deposit in banks and trust companies $35,243,070 in cash, which increased the loaning power of such banks more than a quarter of a billion dollars. More than any other agency, life insurance and its excessive premiums, computed by a false table, have helped to make Wall Street the universal money mecca toward which every one of the three billion nimble dollars in the United States seems possessed to make its annual pilgrimage of devotion and tribute. Fire insurance companies have over a half billion of accumulated assets and $295,644,715 annual income. Casualty and surety companies help swell the grand total of yearly insurance income to more than $1 billion. This exceeds the national debt. Is greater than the combined capital stock of the 7,331 national banks. If one year's insurance receipts was converted into $1 bills, four of them could be given to every man, woman, and child in the United States, and there would be enough left so that, if sewed together end-to-end, -end, they would be long enough to go around the world once at the equator and again by way of the North and South Poles. Other potent agencies conspire to ever increase the golden flood that constantly sweeps into Wall Street from every part of the country. The Bell Telephone System, now ruled from New York, has a capitalization of $580 million and 53,600,000 cash of liquid assets. It has 5,882,719 stations, handling 22,284,010 messages daily. With 120,311 employees, it controls the Western Union Telegraph with 24,926 offices and $144,264,443 capitalization. The Postal Telegraph also has large business and revenues. The four big express companies controlled by Wall Street collect more than $100 million every year, paying 14% to 54% annual dividends. They keep in their treasuries more than $70 million. The United States Steel Corporation has $508,302,500 common stock, $369,281,100.7% preferred, and $596,351,867 of 5% bonds, total $1,000,000. 
$464,935,467. Its net profits made in 10 years exceed a billion dollars. It gathers and draws into Wall Street every year an enormous volume of money. It keeps on deposit in banks at least $75 million cash. The Tobacco Trust is said to have $20 million cash on hand, and other trusts a greater or less amount. The Standard Oil and Trust no doubt command and draw to Wall Street more money than any other trust because they are in one way or another interested in and taking profits from so many different kinds of enterprises. If as reported, their actual net profits approximate $100 million every 12 months, as much as the average annual net profits of the Steel Trust, then each 10 years this will add to $1 billion to their liquid capital and wealth. In fact, the compounding of interest and excessive profits from multiplying investments and huge speculations made doubly successful and certain because of the command of unlimited bank capital and bank credit may add a billion to their resources in five to eight years and another billion each succeeding like period the time constantly shortened as profits and capital increase at compound ratio if these interests continue their policy of buying up control of the banks in various parts of the country and thus acquire complete control of the proposed national reserve association with its limitless powers the time surely will come when these interests and their allies will be able to clear a billion a year and possibly several times that ultimately every dollar of which will be paid by the businessmen and producers of the united states and the evidence is abundant and conclusive that the Aldrich plan was originated and is being promoted by the standard oil interests and their local and foreign affiliations the capitalization of the industrial combines grew 1819 to 1908 from 3 billion 784 million dollars to 31 billion 672 million dollars this astonishing development has its headquarters in wall street to which a large portion of the cash revenues are set Trust growth has injected new problems into American life. These must be met and solved. It will require patience, wisdom, and courage to eliminate the bad and preserve the good, to exterminate the rats without burning the barn. There is little objection to the combinations being big. Big instrumentalities are required to accomplish big things in a big country with big resources and big-minded, ambitious men, and these instruments must be in corporate form. No individual could supply all the capital. In a co-partnership, each partner is liable without limit for joint debts. In an ordinary corporation, a stockholder is liable only for the amount he has invested. The almost universal incorporation of industry is due to the desire for permanency and to limit individual liability. A corporation's life, unlike the human, is not liable any day to end. Practically speaking, a corporation is immortal, yet it has no soul. The general incorporation of all business tends to eliminate much of the personal or human element, substituting an inanimate, driving, everlasting, heartless machine with matter-of-fact cogs and wheels and levers in cold, metallic, selfish, sordid, and in its operations often criminal. There is but one way to put a soul into a corporation. If the law will impose adequate fine and imprisonment upon each consenting officer and director, whenever their corporation does an illegal or improper act, the whole attitude of the corporations toward the public and their entire course of business will be changed and improved, and more than half of all corporate evils and abuses instantly will disappear. It is wholly impractical for government to fix the prices of numberless trust products. It would quickly lead to government regulation of wages, general government ownership and operation, state socialism. Nor can trusts be left free to extort excessive prices from people with the power of monopoly. 
there is a middle course, simple, easy, practicable, and just to both the corporations and public. Congress has power to regulate or suppress corporations engaging in interstate commerce that become or attempt to become monopolies, or even partial monopolies. It should, by law, take from such corporations every special advantage and profit obtained through the use of power of monopoly. All excessive profits due to monopoly should be confiscated by law and returned to the people through the public treasury. Trusts by law must be divorced from each other, from railroads, banks, Wall Street, and politics. If this is done thoroughly and honestly, trust can be made a blessing to the country. If this is not done, trust must be exterminated. But the biggest trust problem, and the greatest trust evil, is the growing and dangerous monopoly of all money and bank credit by a few Wall Street men, and the Aldrich Bill would increase this evil and danger a thousandfold. Death always has been the chief means for redistributing wealth and preventing dangerous accumulations in the hands of individuals and families. The highest public policy demands the dissolution and scattering of excessive fortunes. The English plan of the oldest son inheriting all is made unlawful here. It was thus hoped to prevent swollen fortunes. But by will and trustee methods, this policy is being defeated. And unless great care is exercised, the perpetual corporation will be used as the means for perpetuating these giant fortunes of victory over death and the laws of nature, and they will go on growing in size and power until they rule the government or destroy it altogether. Incorporated wealth is the greatest danger of this age. The railroads annually gather vast sums, much of which goes through Wall Street, because that is the location of the principal financial office of each system. They now have 239,991 miles of track, 1,699,420 employees, with 8 million dependents, aggregate capital stock, 8,380,819,190 dollars, and bonds, 9,600,632,906 dollars, total 17,981,000, $454,096, and collect as gross earnings each year the enormous sum of $2,804,580,939. If all of this was sent to New York, and in cash the railroads annually would gather up and ship to Wall Street every dollar of money in the United States outside of the Treasury, including all actual money in the 24,302 banks of the country. Many railroads have vast accumulations of cash assets deposited in favored banks, controlled by big financial interests that dominate the roads. Some lines have $30 million to $60 million of cash or liquid assets, each million so deposited in New York banks, where the legal cash reserve is 25%, enables the bank to increase its credit loans $4 million. If the million in deposited in a country bank, where the reserve is 15%, or in a state or trust company, and three-fifths of it then is redeposited by the outside bank and a Wall Street bank, all of which can be done in one day, that one million forms the legal cash basis for about $10 million of extra credit loans by their cooperating banks. The stock exchange is the chief instrument used by high finance for despoiling wholesale the people of the entire country. It hides the character of the transactions and the identity of the parties. It bids up the interest on call loans and thus sucks out of the banks of the country and into Wall Street untold millions seeking usury. It causes the public each year a direct loss of more than a billion dollars by methods that might fill the prisons with high financiers but for the fact that New York, for a liberal share 
of the ill-gotten gains shields the guilty and licenses or tolerates these crimes against her sister states and the nation serious are the above described conditions by practices of the allied banks may constitute a bigger evil and their combined power a greater danger this because of their countrywide organization perfect machinery political influence and activity control of a large portion of the ready cash and monopoly of the vastly larger volumes of bank credit all business individual and corporate more or less is dependent always or at certain periods upon banks it cannot prosper without bank assistance because gradually business has worked away from the cash basis and now 95% of the entire volume is carried on with bank credit all american business is in the hollow of the bank hand and can be aided or squeezed according to the will of the big interests that in recent years have acquired control over the banking system unless before too late businessmen help to check the growth of this dangerous incorporate bank power their business eventually will be swallowed up in the great money maelstrom or become food at some future feast of the all-devouring interest and thousands who now proudly consider themselves independent bankers soon will be reduced in authority to mere clerks hired servants executing the orders and doing under compulsion the will of the absent wall street masters of finance to the lasting injury of local business their communities neighbors and friends will the banks prefer wall street for master to a law-regulated public institution it must be one or the other the united states monetary council would establish justice and the square deal as the rules of action in banking finance and business each bank then would keep its reserve balance with the council against which it can make and sell drafts for general business and use instead of new york drafts this will break new york's monopoly and put every other city on equality with the metropolis and there is nothing more important to the rest of the country than to stop the present rapid concentration in new york of power over every kind of enterprise and activity as rome was the roman empire so new york will be the united states unless the balance of the country asserts its right to equal opportunity and speedily enforces the same with legal safeguards a united states monetary council is the best instrument now available for that purpose new york banks have little reason for keeping a deposit in any outside bank but the present law respecting cash reserves induces country banks to keep large balances in new york banks instead of keeping its cash reserve at fifteen per cent of deposit liabilities all in its own vault the country bank is allowed to keep three-fifths thereof on deposit in some central reserve bank new york pays two per cent interest for such deposits this tends to concentrate in new york a dangerous proportion of the country's cash capital the aldrich plan leaves this reserve scheme unchanged and most of the country's cash in wall street national banks alone on september one nineteen eleven had seven hundred and forty four million six hundred and fourteen thousand three hundred and five dollars on deposit with reserve agent banks half of the total cash held in all banks three hundred and ninety nine million five hundred and eight thousand nine hundred and seventy seven with national banks not reserve agents and one hundred and sixty two million two hundred and seventy one thousand seven hundred and ninety three dollars with state banks and bankers total one trillion three hundred and six million three hundred and ninety five thousand seventy five dollars the actual cash in all the seven thousand three hundred and thirty one national banks on that date was nine hundred and forty one million three hundred and sixty two thousand three hundred and sixty nine dollars their credit loans were five billion six hundred and sixty three million four hundred and eleven thousand seventy three dollars in total resources nine billion nine hundred and fifty six million four hundred and seventy six thousand eight hundred and thirty dollars 
The 24,392 reporting banks of all kinds on June 7, 1911, combined had $1,554,147,169 cash, $2,788,772,572 deposited by banks and other banks, $13,040,389,844 loans, and $23,000,000,000. $631,083,382 of resources. These interdeposits between banks often is a bond binding them together for mutual advantage and profit. In this way, one bank may obtain a strong control over another. With all reserves in the United States Council, each bank will be independent. It no longer will depend for safety or profit on other banks or Wall Street. The cash or liquid assets deposited in the banks by the railroads express telegraph, telephone, industrial, and insurance companies that are controlled by a few men are believed to be equal to the $1,554,147,169 that comprises the total cash held by all the 24,392 banks. If so, then those men have power by withdrawing such deposits to force every bank to call in and cancel practically all of its loans to force businessmen suddenly to pay up over $15 billion of debts to banks. That action, if taken, would plunge into bankruptcy most of the 24,392 banks and the borrowers of such banks and inaugurate the greatest panic in history. Probably it will not be done, at least to that extent, but the power to do it is in the hands of a few Wall Street men, and every banker knows it and is afraid to antagonize the high financiers. That is the black hand threat that Wall Street ever holds over the financial institutions of the United States. That is the deadly power that would be abolished by the creation of the United States Monetary Council to regulate and protect the banks and the business of the country with an independent and ample supply of elastic public currency. The bank tax on all business computed at 5% on $23 billion of bank resources exceeds a billion dollars per year or more than the national debt. The transportation tax annually levied on business and commodities by railroads for service is nearly $3 billion. The insurance companies collect another billion. The trust probably as much as the railroads. These four agencies therefore collect from the people each year a total sum larger than the value of all crops. A larger portion of this vast business is expense that is added to the cost of food, clothing, and other things and thus directly increases enormously the cost of living. This is in addition to the profit and expense added by many middlemen between producer and consumer. It does not include rent, gas, fuel, and numberless other items that enter into the cost of living. A large portion of these vast and ceaseless streams of money flows through many artificial channels extending all over the country and now converge in Wall Street, financially draining the country and carrying to that one center an ever-increasing proportion of the people's income and nation's wealth. It was to simplify this process and make the desired results more certain that Wall Street invented the pending Aldrich plan for a vast private central bank or association that should legally and firmly and permanently bind the 24,392 banks, all in one vast combine for mutual profit and advantage as against the people. Is there a money trust? A trust is an artificial condition in any line of business that restrains trade and tends to eliminate competition and establish monopoly. Complete stoppage or control of trade is not necessary. 
elimination of all competition, or absolute monopoly is not essential. If the artificial conditions are such as to suppress competition entirely or in part, and create complete or partial monopoly, it is a trust. The conditions not only must naturally operate to produce these results, but they must be artificial. If the conditions are artificial created and naturally tend to produce such results, the law will assume that those creating such conditions intend thus to form a trust. Incorporation is not essential in forming a trust. The growing, selfish, and insolent money power, incorporated and unincorporated, violates every law regulating and restraining its conduct, treats the people and their government with contempt, and then invokes the protection of the laws and the courts to shield the stolen vested rights and privileges against violence that their own lawless course tends to incite. Wall Street is a trust. It is a trust manufacturing trust. Every condition there is artificial and calculated to eliminate competition and install monopoly. And it actively seeks to establish this trust condition among railroads, industries, and banks. The chief object is increased profits. There are many money trusts. In every city, the banks are forming a local trust, usually by clearing house rules or oral agreements. The object is to keep as low as possible the interest paid for deposits and as high as possible the interest charged borrowers. If bank power continues to grow in time, they will pay no interest on deposits. In form and effect, it is an injurious conspiracy against depositors and borrowers, the customers of banks. The agreements are identical, and for the same object in the banking business as in the acts of the industrial world that are made criminal by the antitrust law. And there is less reason or excuse for these bank trusts that control the supply of money and credit than for industrial trusts, and they are far more burdensome and dangerous. The prices of exchange and other bank charges often are regulated locally by trust agreement. The policy of charging regular customers exchange on out-of-town checks deposited is spreading rapidly by clearinghouse agreements. A certain city that has about 500,000 population recently adopted the scheme. Next day, a leading hotel was charged by its bank 15 cents exchange on a $50 check drawn by writer on a Cincinnati bank. If the same rate was charged on a whole $160 billion of checks, they yearly go through clearing houses, the tax on business and extra net profits of the banks would be increased $480 million, or enough to pay an extra annual dividend of 24% on the entire capital stock of the 24,392 banks. Banks are now making excessive profits, but as their wealth and power increases, they will extort more and more from business, if business will permit it. All such trust agreements among banks either should be prohibited or made general and uniform by law with severe punishment for discriminations. There should either be real and unrestricted competition for loans and business among banks, or a uniform scale of charges should be fixed and enforced by law. There should be no money trust at all among banks or a trust strictly regulated by law. That is the only safety, the one protection for business. Were it not for these local money trusts, the general bank discount rate would be 4% or 5% instead of 6%, with a reasonable allowance as interest on deposit accounts and ordinary depositors of cash would get 4% or 5% for the money that enables the bank to loan 4 to 10 times as much credit as 6%. And if bank favoritism and discrimination was stopped, and trusts and stock gamblers were not allowed to borrow at 2%, while others must pay 6%, and all were treated impartially, the banks could establish a uniform 4% discount rate 
and make just as much profit. And a 4% rate, or even 5%, would wonderfully stimulate legitimate business and promote national prosperity, and greatly reduce the cost of necessities in living. Then there is a general money trust. It is not incorporated, not yet, but it is real. An artificial condition exists in the world of big finance that tends to eliminate genuine competition for loans, deposits, issues of bonds, and deals requiring financing. Insiders cooperate instead of compete, and they have more profits to divide, and outsiders pay more and get less because this money trust condition, through fear and favor, has merged control of money and bank credit largely in the hands of a few men. These men, by direct or indirect means, dominate practically all the important financial institutions of the United States. The will of these men is a most complete, definite, powerful, and dangerous money trust. Its intangible and invisible form increases its irresponsibility, rapacity, craft, and daring. A hidden power is the most dangerous and most difficult to locate, regulate, or restrain. While a powerful and supreme money trust exists and dominates in the larger sense all American finance and business and everybody knows of this fact, it will be difficult if not impossible to reach and properly control it by direct regulating statutes. But its power for evil can be greatly diminished by indirect agencies. Laws with suitable penalties stopping all bank discriminations, usurious interest rates, margin gambling, regulating the stock exchanges, divorcing the trusts, banks, railroads, and insurance companies from each other, and regulating the use of their cash funds, taking the bank reserves out of Wall Street, and mobilizing them in one central reservoir under government regulation and creation of the United States Monetary Council as a greater financial power than Wall Street. Made independent and impartial by law, able and ever ready to aid and protect the 24,392 banks of the country and the business customers of such banks with an ample supply of sound elastic currency and credit will stop most of the glaring evils and abuses and bring Wall Street and its lawless element ultimately under the effective control of the federal government. And there is no other way to get adequate relief from present intolerable conditions. The pending Aldrich plan is a long step in the opposite direction. Instead of curtailing it, it would multiply the already over-swollen power of those few Wall Street men. Their money trust, then, would be complete, incorporated, a legal body entitled to claim the protection of the laws and the courts. Acts now evil, if not criminal, would be made lawful, and the National Reserve Association, as a vast private money trust, would become the ruling power in finance and business. Shall the present outlaw money trust that now must hide in the shadows and operate in the darkness, the bandit of the financial highway, be called and crowned by act of Congress as the supreme sovereign of finance and business, a lawful money trust, the incorporated master of 24,392 banks, and of all industries, commerce, and politics. The National Reserve Association will have power of life and death over the business of every man, the affairs of every corporation, the welfare of every community, and the prosperity of the nation. It will be judge, jury, and executioner. By inflating and contracting its corporate currency and raising and lowering its discount rate, it can raise and lower at will the prices of all securities, property, and human labor. By cooperating with the private central banks abroad, it will help establish a universal money trust that will eliminate all competition between banks and bankers for bonds and loans, and this worldwide money monopoly will double the mortgage on all mankind by increasing interest rates everywhere. To it, Congress is asked to hand over, as a free gift, a billion dollars of public currency, money, the property and medium of exchange, of 94 million people, to be forever retained and loaned out to the people for its profit. 
it may have power to run the nation into debt or liability for billions of dollars as guarantor of the emissions of its printing press on corporate currency issued without limit or effective restraint by act of congress the public revenues of the republic for a half century are to be mortgaged to this money trust forty billions collected by taxation to be turned over for deposit and use by this private corporation without one cent of compensation by resolution adopted by vote of the five men who compose the majority of its executive committee it can in secret and without notice contract and cancel a million a hundred million or five hundred million of its corporate currency and at one breath thus annihilate billions of bank credit built as a tenfold inverted pyramid on such currency forcing every bank to call on its loans and every business borrower to pay its bank obligations at whatever sacrifice it will have power to abolish prosperity and inflict panic plunging the entire nation into the horrors of a financial catastrophe that would paralyze industry and commerce close the factories and turn millions of workmen out to tramp the streets without means to provide food and shelter for their helpless wives and children to five men perhaps mere dummies irresponsible paid employees of an unregulated uncontrolled and unrestrained private corporation congress is asked to absolutely and unreservedly commit for fifty years the vital destinies of the republic and the interests and welfare of its ninety four million inhabitants the national reserve association a great private central bank owned by the banks controlled by wall street is to be invested with supreme governmental powers and incorporated as a great dominating money trust by law independent of government and above all public authority that is the omnipotent and deadly octopus congress is urged to legally set loose and install as the master of american banks business finance industry commerce and politics its poisonous and itching tentacles will gradually reach out and bind themselves about every home farm industry bank the public treasury courts congress and the white house gathering to itself supreme political power sucking the wealth and substance of the people into wall street and dumping it into the stock exchange or the eager lapse of the handful of men who will seek by moral if not by legal treason to rob the people of their god-given liberty destroy the republic as a living reality and in its place erect an empire disguised as a democracy with incorporated wealth crowned as the ruling sovereign and all the people its subjects this is the coming incorporated money monster End of chapter 22